Welcome back to the MCU Exchange Podcast. I am Caleb, and today we have a slightly different team coming to you. Uh, Adam is not able to be with us this week, but instead we have Jeremiah from the website. So uh, excited to have him uh, with us today, and as usual, we have Rhiannon as well. So uh, guys, you having a good week? Everything going well in your various parts of the world? Yeah, good week here for sure. Um, off on spring break this week, spending lots of time uh, at the house with the family and celebrated my oldest daughter's birthday. So we had a really good week. Yeah. And Jersey is fabulous as always. I got to drive across it today. When I think of New Jersey, fabulous drive. is the first word that comes to my mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the turnpike, you can go really fast. Evidently, nobody obeys the speed limit. So. No. My favorite thing about New Jersey is that it's the garden state. It's like the most densely populated state like per square mile. <laughs> There's people everywhere, but then they call themselves the garden state. It just feels like false advertising to me. Yeah, but where I am, there are lots of like horse farms and rural areas. Hmm. It's weird because it is the most densely populated state. So I don't know. They space it out. It must all be in Newark. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into our news. Uh, we've got a variety of things going on in the MCU. As usual, we'll try to talk about some of them. Um, if you're new to the podcast, kind of realized this the other day, we don't really talk about every bit of news. Um, we're assuming that you're keeping up with all of the news on mcuexchange.com, and we don't really feel the need to read to you our website. We figure you can read it for yourself. So I've just picked out the stuff uh, that I think is somewhat discussion-worthy and will get a little bit of conversation going, and so that's the news we'll hit. Uh, first thing I've got here is there is a rumor that came out this week that Hawkeye is going to be kind of um, the other Avenger in Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, which is kind of interesting. We've seen a lot of these team-up movies now where we have two different characters, like. Thor Ragnarok has Thor and Hulk. Um, guys, do you like this? Are you excited about seeing Hawkeye? Do you think that's a good match for Ant-Man and the Wasp? Or is there someone else you'd like to see? Uh, Rhiannon, we'll let you go ahead and go first. I would just... Oh, I, 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 like, I love Hawkeye in the comics. I don't love Hawkeye in the MCU. I would think they would want a stronger Avenger to pop up in Ant-Man and the Wasp or to be a part of it, but, I mean, it seems like it could be a cool mix. Um, so I'm, first of all, like, I'm a little bit skeptical whether or not that's hung over from an old rumor where they thought that Renner said he was producing Ant-Man movie, and, and I, I just don't know 100% if I buy it, but if he is going to be in it, um, I think it's interesting. I thought there was some good humor um, and some good chemistry between Rudd and Renner in Civil War, and if <clears throat> if they do put Hawkeye in there, I sure hope that they run down the Goliath route with Barton. Like that's that's something that I don't know that many people um, even remember. Like it was such an old, such a long time ago, and such an old uh, set of comics when when Hawkeye took on his Goliath persona. So I think that would be super interesting if they if they go that route. Yeah, I had totally actually forgotten about that until you mentioned it. That could be really interesting. I mean, I would be 
excited to see Renner play that. Like I could see him just kind of being like, I'm really uncomfortable with this. What's going mm-hmm. on? And it's kind of be cool. They've mocked so much that he doesn't have like real powers. <laughs> like he's even right. made fun of himself that it would be kind of cool <laughs> to just see him be like, oh, I have all the power now, you know, like let it go to right. his head a little bit. Yeah. I, I think that could be cool. And I, I, I agree with Rian and I haven't loved um, MCU Hawkeye, although in the Civil War, Hawkeye was by far my favorite. I thought he had a lot more of what I would associate with Hawkeye going on in that movie. So I would, I don't know, it would be interesting. And I think the whole movie is, I mean, we know so little about it. It's going to start filming in what, July? And we have no idea anything about what's going on. So, but he would, he would be an interesting fit. Yeah. I don't think there's even a clear cut villain, really. Like with some of these movies, like you just have the villain you assume will be in it. But off the top of my head, I have absolutely no idea where they're going to go with their bad guy, you know? And when we were talking about it the other day on Slack, I think Chris brought up, um, or maybe it was Doug, one of the two of them brought up, hey, if it's going to be, if Hawkeye's going to be in it, then maybe Crossfire will be the villain. And we kind of, you know, went back and forth on a few ideas, but yeah, no idea. Yeah, now having Hawkeye in it and using that to bring more of the Hawkeye universe, you know, rather than never, like, I, I don't see any reason to give him a standalone movie, but to to show us more of the universe that we know of him in the comics, that would be really cool to use this as a way to get it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other thing I like that just kind of struck me is that first movie had a lot of stuff about like being a dad, you know? And so there was the stuff between Pim and his daughter. There was um, Scott Lang and trying to relate to his daughter and Hawkeye has become like the most paternal of all of the Avengers because they've kind of gone that ultimate direction with him. They gave him a family and then he has that relationship with Scarlet Witch. That's very much kind of, you know, looking after her. And so I think there could be a continuation of that. If we kind of let that paternal side of Hawkeye come out and I can just see, you know, Lang like sitting down with him and like, how do you do it? You know, as a dad, what do you do? And I just think that could be an interesting kind of emotional aspect to that movie as well. All right. Um, the other thing that we have heard is apparently Aaron Sorkin is talking to Marvel and talking to DC about doing a project. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of meat to this other than he's kind of had conversations. And in Hollywood, I think people have conversations all the time. So I don't expect anything, you know, super soon. Um, for you guys, I mean, when you think about Aaron Sorkin coming to the MCU in some capacity, do you have a particular character or property you'd like to see um, be in like the Sorkin MCU verse? I mean, I've been struggling with this ever since this little tidbit came out because I love Aaron Sorkin's work. So I feel like there should be, you know, I should be really excited about this. But I can't, like, he doesn't do action and fight scenes much. I mean, he's great at drama. And, and, I mean, I know, I mean, obviously, like, I know Sorkin through West Wing more than anything. so I know he can craft a story. I could almost see him doing an, a later season of some of the Defender stuff. 
But on the other hand, he said in this news, he said that he's not a comic reader. He's not going into it as a fan. He's going in it as a storyteller to talk and see if they have a property that they can talk him into being a fan. And that just doesn't get me excited about him taking over anything. Yeah, and I'm see, I I can think of just a couple of things. I've never never watched West Wing, and so mine like A Few Good Men, and which I've seen God knows how many times, and um, Social Network, and didn't he write Moneyball too? Is that right? Yeah, that sounds like, right. So yeah. yeah, so those are like that's where I am, and I think about like the the kind of scenes that you'd be seeing and i think like something ensemble would be would be better or like you said in a later season of defenders than if it was just some solo character um and as i'm like running through my head and, and trying to think of like where where it fits i don't come up with anything that's like a an immediate obvious fit to me and that doesn't mean that he's not going to see something or that marvel's not going to see something that i wouldn't see that's why i'm sitting on my couch and up here and there's people in hollywood making decisions but um, n- nothing really jumps out to me. Yeah, the only idea I've had, um, like he's just renowned for making movies that are really dialogue heavy, right? Like it's yeah. just all about talking. And the character that comes to my mind that is very dialogue heavy is um, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, right? Like those comics are so dense with conversation. And I love Miss Marvel, but I don't feel like the action has ever been like the the key there. You know, like Miss Marvel is a great comic because of the character work and because of the cultural issues. And so um, I've said in the podcast before that I'd kind of like to see Amy, uh, Amy Sherman Palladino from Gilmore Girls develop Miss Marvel because I think that's a little bit of a closer jump than like going from Moneyball to Miss Marvel. But I think it's the property that's the most dialogue heavy that might make sense. So I, I think I could get in, interested in that and excited about that, but it doesn't strike me as a supernatural fit either. So he could, you know, maybe he'll choose to latch on to one of the two thousand seven hundred and forty-two projects that DC has in development instead of you know ever evening up at Marvel. So yeah, absolutely. We we're talking about this today. Like, there are so many things going on at DC that I don't know how they can remember everything that they have going on over there. <laughs> just fall in love with Lobo and just need need to write that Lobo script for them. It seems like that character is, is one that's maybe missed his, his time, right? Like, that movie really <laughs> needed to come out in 1997, I think. But <laughs> All right. Um, moving on through our news. What else do we have on here? Um, Okay, so this will be kind of fun to talk about. Um, so talking about creators and people that are involved in sort of the executive side of this, um, is it Amy Pascal from Sony? Okay. <laughs> Amy Pascal um, was at CinemaCon this week and was making a lot of statements about Spider-Man. And frankly, they didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the one that, that really caught a lot of ears, I'm trying to see if I can pull up the exact text here so I don't, um, I don't misquote the bizarreness. Um, but what she said is, um, 
Because Sony and Disney and Marvel all decided that the right thing to do was to allow Peter Parker and Spider-Man to be in the MCU and to work with the Marvel guys and have them produce this film, I think that this was a very rare thing for three companies to do and very brilliant thing for them to decide to do because there are only so many stories that you can tell again and again about Spidey and this is something that we've never been able to do in any other way. So this is a very selfless thing that was very smart on the part of the companies. Um, And then that is not the real money part of it, though. At one point, she says, um, one of the things I think is so amazing about this experience is that you don't have the studios deciding to work together together to make a film very often. In fact, it may never happen again after we do the sequel. And people immediately took this to say that the deal with Marvel and Sony only extended to um, what, you know, Spider-Man Prom or whatever they're going to make Spider-Man Homecoming <laughs> 2. Um, what did you guys make of all of this? I mean, are you able to make heads or tails of any of it? Ow. I, you know, I, she's in Vegas, right? So who knows what was going on out there before she had that conversation. But I just, she's not in the same position she was when the deal was made. Um, and then I'm trying, I couldn't remember off the top of my head. I had, I would have to look, which I'm not gonna be able to do right now, but I read somewhere today that, uh, maybe it was like the rap or THR or something saying that they had gotten in contact that neither Marvel or Sony would, would give them a response, but they'd gotten in contact with someone with knowledge of the deal that basically told them that Pascal was speaking improperly and that that deal was going to see its way through and that they didn't think Spidey was going out of the MCU anytime soon. So that's a a little comforting, but it's sure confusing. And I I wrote that up. I don't know if it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday morning. Um, It's just like Sony can't stay out of their own way. They, they get this great thing going um, that I can't, I can imagine just only benefits them right. The way that I understand it is like, they they have to foot the foot the bill for the cast and for the movie, but Marvel doesn't get a cent of any of the profits. So hey, we're going to give you Robert Downey Jr. That's going to push your movie probably close to a billion dollars. Um, and then if they keep this up, they can drop like the Hulk and the next Spider-Man sequel or Doctor Strange or Captain America. You name it. I mean, if they continue this deal, they're going to be making a billion, you know, close to between eight hundred to a billion every movie. I don't know why they would want to ever mess with it. But they've got this weird little alternate Spideyverse going on over there. I'm not sure, you know, what, what's going on and how they they just they just seem to be wanting to shoot themselves in the foot pretty badly when they've got a pretty great thing going on. Well, and the other thing is, she made some other comments later that seemed to disagree with like the ones I just read. Um, we also know for a fact that Holland has on his contract a certain amount of movies, and it's more than just the sequel. And, you know, we said maybe that leaves open the potentiality that they could make one with Holland that wasn't in the MCU, but that just doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, And then, again, today there were comments about the Spider-Man movies kind of following a Harry Potter model where, like, every year Mm -hmm. was another year in Peter's life. I cannot believe they're building that with Feige and they'll make it through sophomore year and then pull the plug. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So it just, I think it's much ado about nothing, but you know, websites are, are going to get clicks of people freaking mm-hmm. out about that. So they're going to type it up that way. So, um, yeah, it, 
it seems like this is, and this is, I guess, me projecting, but like as as great as Feige is with with the plan, like with the big picture, right? It doesn't seem like he would have jumped into this um, and not had. I, I would I would bet you ten years down the road thought out right like he's got it figured out where when are we gonna when are we gonna introduce um, the Osborns into this mess when are we gonna introduce uh, you know different characters into this and how does it all play into not just developing the Peter Parker side of this but which characters are gonna come over and play in the larger sandbox too I, I mean I I don't think there's any way he made this agreement without really having some some solid plans you know like in my head it must include norman osborne and do something awesome with him beyond making him the green goblin but i'm sure that they've got something figured out yeah and i think my guess is that there's miles morales stuff that's probably as well connected i mean it could just be wishful thinking but i think whatever donald glover is that's going to somehow play into the miles you know story or ethos or you know, I would love it if there was like a 10 year old kid that was running around at some point in the movie named Miles, you know, and they're just like building up mm-hmm. for that coming seven years from now, you know, like to me, that makes a whole lot of sense. So, sure. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, if you want more Spider Man talk, uh, we're going to talk about the trailer here in just a minute. But also, um, I think our podcast next week is going to be titled something along the lines of um, uh, why is Sony screwing up the Spider-Verse or something like that? You know, we'll just get into it. There's a lot of stuff about Venom and a Black Cat and Silver Sable movie, which I heard on other podcasts this week. Someone said they're making an entire movie on the concept that two women have the same hairstyle. So I think that's pretty funny. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about all that stuff and how it connects the MCU and how it should connect and how it's going to connect. And it's just my hope that Sony is driving up the, the price for Marvel to buy their film studio because, uh, you know, a while back we heard Sony was in trouble. We can, we can only hope. So if you like us, who can, who can imagine why? <laughs> right. If you like us criticizing stuff, you can hear me be very nasty about Sony studios next week. I will I'll <laughs> criticize away. Um, last bit of news I thought of any significance. We did get confirmation that Black Panther is going to feature uh, Shuri, uh, the sister of T'Challa, and she is going to be played. I'm going to have to pull up the actress here by Letitia Wright. Yes, Letitia Wright. That is correct. Um, I don't know that actress myself, I don't think. Are you guys nope. excited about this? Do you know who she is? Uh, you think it's a good decision or an obvious decision to add her into this movie? Well, I think we, you'd have to look back. I'm fairly certain that I wrote that up. And when she was cast as like the mystery role, we had her, we had that, her tab for Shuri at the time. So this is good confirmation for us to make us feel good about our, you know, our guesses that we make. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I know nothing about the actress, but I know what is in store for that character potentially. And I think, that's that's pretty cool to have her joining in this early on. I think that they could really foreshadow some cool stuff. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting. She's a relatively young actress. Um, according to her IMDb, she was born in '93, so she's like 24 right now. 
Uh, actually, she's not even uh, she's not even twenty four yet. She's twenty three right now, and so um, that's going to be interesting to me. When I think of Shuri, I think of kind of her taking the mantle and being the Black Panther and being in charge of uh, Wakanda. But certainly, she looks pretty young for her age as well, and so I can almost see like I don't know. She just it strikes me that she is not going to be challenging for the throne. She's going to be more like a little sister to T'Challa, and so I think that could be, um, it could be interesting, I mean, Chadwick Boseman is like 40, isn't he? So, there's going to be I a sig- no idea how significant old age gap. Um, I'll look that up real quick, but yeah, there's going to be a significant age gap between these guys, I think. Yeah, Chadwick Boseman is 40, so there's a good 15 years between the two of them, so, um, I, you know, on the age people up and down in a movie, but uh, I, I find that to be kind of an interesting dynamic. I definitely think of them more as equals in the comics. So, all right. Yeah. She's, she's a fabulous character in the comics. I'm really, you know, I, obviously they're going to make, you know, a trilogy out of black Panther and she's gonna, she's going to come into play some point down the line. I'm sure taking the throne. That would be, that would be the hope. All right, well, we're going to keep on moving along. I think that'll do it for our news section. Um, We did have a trailer this week. Spider-Man Homecoming uh, dropped their first kind of full... I don't know how they define these things anymore. The one we got back in December was kind of more of the teaser trailer. This was more kind of the story trailer with a lot more details. Some people thought way too many details uh, about what's going to happen in Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, You know, we'll just... we, We can start really generically. Uh, did you guys enjoy the trailer? Did you did you like what they did? Um, something you liked, something you didn't like. Rhiannon, what'd you think? How how was the trailer for you? I enjoyed it, um, but I enjoyed it because I feel like I watched a little movie. Um, the I mean, the trailer had like a full progression of a story, so I know Marvel works really hard. Well, I mean, I know most movie makers in general work really hard to save you some stuff and you make it feel like you had a lot of the movie in the trailer while there's still plenty to be seen. But, um, I don't know. I, I feel a little bit spoiled on the movie having seen all of that, but I'm also excited. I mean, we, we know a lot more about the vulture. We know a lot more about the progression, you know, why we go back to seeing the homemade suit and all of that. So I enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Um, the first I had to watch it on the fly on my phone. And then when I got a chance to sit down later and, um, and take a good look at it. I thought it was really cool. I really liked, um, I really liked the little dynamic they're playing with, with Stark, um, and Peter. And I love the, the line about if you're nothing without the suit, then you need to give it back. And just how, how that's a, a great progression for Tony, right? Because we saw him go through that same thing and he's trying in that little line about how he wants Peter to be better. Um, I think that's such a, such a cool dynamic and such shows a lot of, and it's funny though. I don't know. You want to say it shows a lot of maturity out of Tony, but then you also realize he just grabbed a 15 year old kid and threw him into the middle of a huge battle overseas. Right. So I don't know how much, how much you can say he's actually matured and become less selfish. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, Rena. When you said, um, like, you felt like you watched a little movie and you saw maybe too much. What What are you thinking? You saw too much of? Because I've heard a couple people with different ideas. I'm wondering what you're thinking. I I 
feel like I've seen a full progression of, you know, and, and the actual movie can be completely different from the trailer. But I saw a story where, I mean, we know that, I guess, are we calling him Ned? Peter's friend? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm um, calling him Genki because he is Genki. <laughs> but yes, Marvel Studios wants you to call him Ned. Okay. So, you know, Ned, you know, discovers that Peter has a suit. So we know that there's going to be this whole dynamic of him being there and his friend knowing his secret completely. And then we know that something goes completely wrong with the Staten Island Ferry and that Iron Man saves it. And then, you know, and in the same time, things are escalating with the Vulture, who, you know, we saw a lot of what is motivating him. And then Spider-Man goes and he does stuff in his everyday. I I don't know. I feel like I've seen a lot of the plot. And either they're yanking my chain and steering me in one direction to make me think this is the plot. Or I've seen a lot of the plot. And I know, I mean, you know, there's an hour and a half of movie, but I feel like I know a lot of what the story is going to be now. Um. There's no longer that mystery of when will we see, why will we see his homemade suit? Um, right. You know, and what, why does Tony Stark show up and stuff like that? So, Jeremiah, let me ask you this. Do you think there's any major mm-hmm. set pieces we haven't seen? Well, I feel like, I feel like the plane crash uh, or the plane is going to end up crashing um, outside of Coney Island. Like, I, that's that could be totally off but like when you see the vulture um beating on peter with his mask off there's all there's a pretty obvious large fiery wreck going on in the background so i'm thinking that scene we see with the plane ends up there and i would imagine that's got to be like the climax right like that's got to be going on it would seem that the staten island ferry thing is going to take place pretty early on so i'm i don't know I, i don't know that we're seeing any that we're missing any big set pieces but i think the thing that's missing um that i think is really cool and that is fine for me to be left to the mystery is like if this is going to be peter's coming of age story and it's the theme is hinted at like repeatedly in all these trailers that he has to prove himself and he has to do this himself in like the old 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 1963 or four amazing spider-man um the vulture puts a puts a beating on him a couple times and then he comes up with this like little ingenious scientific way to to beat the vulture um and if you guys like read those old comics that's uses some sort of magnetism to defeat the vulture's wings or to disrupt the disrupt the vulture's wings and i almost wondered there was a little scene in the trailer where he was working in like their lab at their little STEM academy there, him and Ned were working on something. And I thought to myself when I saw that, I was like, I wonder if him and Ned are working on some kind of device to, to like make the vultures wings malfunction. Yeah. Cause I think that's going to be the big piece there is like, how does Peter um, do this without the suit and without Tony's help? Yeah. And my question to you guys that have read the comics, does he have, I mean the Ned, the Ned character, it just feels weird to me that from day one there'll be somebody, or or from early on there'll be somebody that completely knows who Peter is. Is that something that's in the comics? Negative. Well, okay. not in Peter Parker. For, Parker not comics. in Peter's. Not for Peter, right? Yeah. Okay. But it's totally. They are plundering 
Miles Morales. Like, if you're a big Miles fan, I think you have some reason to be annoyed because um, they are taking a lot of elements, I think, from the Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man stuff and injecting it into Peter Parker. And it makes a lot of sense because it's good and it fits the age range that they're going for with Peter. But um, every time I see Peter and Ned together, I mean, it's like they ripped it right out of a Miles Morales Spider-Man comic book. So. Yeah, and the Ned character is so, so much different in the comics than what, at least what we're seeing he's been going to look like in, the, in this movie. Um, I just, I'm just not sure. My concern is we have seen some of the Staten Island Ferry stuff. We've seen some of the airplane slash... Um, Coney Island stuff. And then we've also seen some of the Washington DC stuff. Mm -hmm. And they may have one more big action thing. They might have a fourth one of some kind, but it doesn't seem likely to me. I mean, there's just only so many, you know, big fight scenes you can put in a movie. And so I just wonder if we've seen them all. I mean, we saw the Washington monument get blown up a little bit in, you know, in one of the shots. The way I'm, the way I'm seeing this movie, it, maybe I'm maybe the trailer. I should not read this way, but I read it as there's going to be the Staten Island thing. He's going to get the costume taken away. He's going to then go. Well, I'm going to fight him anyways. There's going to be the airplane Coney Island deal, and then either because he steals it back or Tony is maybe captured by the vulture and he goes to to Stark Labs to get it, or he somehow proves himself to Tony. He gets the the costume back with some advancements like the web wings and the final battle is in Washington, D.C. I mean, that's exactly how the trailer lays out those those scenes. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes the most sense to me. Like if D.C. is not the D.C. scene is not going to work between Staten Island and Coney Island because it because the costume gets taken away. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. if, it, if it's taken away there, then there has to be some way that he gets it back for the final scene. So I just, I don't know. I, I'm suspicious that we have seen most of the stuff. And part of the reason I'm suspicious of this is because I think, and I don't know how this all works, but I think Sony cut this trailer. And I think Sony has no <laughs> freaking clue what they're doing. And so it would not surprise me if they spoiled the mess out of this. And Feige's just sitting over at Disney, like with his hand in his head, you know, like, what are you guys doing? Why did you put out a trailer like that? Maybe it doesn't yeah. work that way, but I'm guessing that's what's going on. No, I, I mean, I feel like we know a whole lot more about this movie than we do about Guardians. And yep. we've seen, what, three, three trailers for Guardians now, and I still have no idea what's going on. But you know what? I would rather have a horrible trailer and a great movie. Like, in both cases. Like, if the trailer... You know, whatever. Sony screwed up the trailer. As long as the movie is great. Mm-hmm. Or, and, not, I don't, and I don't think they screwed it up. But if they, you know, gave us way too much. As long as the movie is great, that's good. Yeah. And same with Guardians. I mean, I've never known what to expect with Guardians. <laughs> but... Uh, the other thing I want to talk about real quick is I just really loved what we got of Michael Keaton. Like, I just yes. think that he's going to be great. He's going to be one of the better MCU villains we've gotten. Uh, I want him to stay alive so he can have a Sinister Six thing. And I also like that they're really... They're being so respectful about Spider-Man's history 
but they're messing around with Vulture's history significantly. Like, I always think of the Vulture as a relatively wealthy, successful person, and they're Mm kind of making him this down-on-his-luck, blue-collar guy. And I I think that makes a lot of sense, the way they're adding uh, damage control into the MCU this way. I think that's all great. Um, But I was just, I'm just very excited. The more I see of his Vulture, the more excited I am to see it in the big screen. Yeah, he's, he's, um, like, you know, when this was being cast, what he was in, and then he was out, and then he was back in, right? Like that, he wasn't sure about that role. And I agree, like, I'm so happy that, that he's taken it the way he's, he's looked in these trailers. I mean, he's intimidating. He's, he's obviously got like some pull with these other people. And now when they link him and why he's doing what he's doing to kind of the, to ground him in in the, the real world while all the superhero stuff has been going on around him, I like it. It's gonna, I think I said this the other day that he's like, you know, not Zemo had similar uh, reasons for what he was up to, right? Like, his family had been ruined by by the work of the Avengers, and now you're looking at the same thing. But you know, in this in this movie where we're really looking at like how the everyday guy in Spider Man, and then on the everyday guy and in the Vulture come to be with all this great stuff going on around him, I think it's pretty cool. I think he's going to be a really great villain. I also heard someone saying, I forget who, that um, the real irony here is that the way this storyline's going down, effectively Tony Stark has created the Vulture. So every villain in the MCU is ultimately Tony Stark's fault. <laughs> yeah. And that there's kind Poor of an, Tony. there's kind of an irony of like him like reprimanding Spider-Man about responsibility when it's like really <laughs> this is your eighth supervillain, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Come on, man. I'm still really curious about who uh not Tom Hardy is playing in this movie. But the guy who looks just like Tom Hardy, uh Marshall Green, yeah. right? Yeah, not Tom Hardy. He's just him, he and Glover have got to be like I, 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 somebody, right? Like I mean, they've got to be somebody that we just know, and it's it's right there in front of us, and we aren't putting it together. But it's really interesting. He's not possibly Norman Osborn, is he? Somebody said that. I mean, I don't know. That would seem really, that would seem really strange to me to have him running around doing street level crime, right? Like that's just that would that would be a maybe a little bit too far of a stretch for changing somebody's origins for me to have norman running around doing petty theft have we seen him with them as one of the thieves in the crew in the only the only shots that i can think of with him i think he's been with glover and everything that we've seen with him oh for, yeah i think both those guys are going to be you know i don't know whether it's going to end up being like mysterio or you know something along those lines one of those guys turns into i mean i think they're keeping it a secret for a reason as well yeah, I'm I'm hopeful, like I said earlier, that we're moving towards the Sinister Six. I think that mm-hmm. would be a very, like, a logical way for this to go, is we get three high school movies, and the culmination of them is sort of like all the villains combining together. But it is time <laughs> for us to finish our reviewing of Iron Fist. Um, last week, we kind of went spoilers for episodes one through six. Uh, we're going to do spoilers now for the whole series uh, all together. Um, Rhiannon La- or, uh, Jeremiah, last week we got uh, Adam and Rhiannon's take on Iron Fist and what they thought, and I talked about what I thought. Uh, how about you? Did you generally like Iron Fist? How, wh- how did you feel about the series just as a whole? 
Um, so I, I didn't mind it. Um, like if I reflect on the whole thing, it's, it's the weakest of the series for me, but I still enjoyed it. Um, I had issues with, with both the leads, basically with Finn Jones and Jessica Henwick, I thought a lot, but I, and in Henwick's case, I think a lot of it was that that character was not very well written. And I thought she was dealing with just some horrendous dialogue. Um, Jones, I'm just not sure. And I, and it could be a writing thing too. It just, he didn't, didn't sell me all the time on what was going on. And his acting just doesn't seem up to snuff with like, when I think about them going into the defenders and throwing him out on this, out the same screen with Charlie Cox and Kristen Ritter, or even if you thought like about, I know D'Onofrio is not going to be in the defenders, right. But when you're talking about throwing around those caliber of performances, he didn't really fit in that with me. Um, but it it kept it interesting enough. It was certainly nowhere near as bad as as what like the pre-release bashing of it was. It definitely wasn't anywhere near that. Um, there were some parts of it I I really enjoyed. I was a little bummed out that they didn't get more into the mythology and more into the dragon and and the God the red lights for the dragon eyes just about killed me at the end. Um, I was a little bummed out with all that, but then I was equally like thrilled when they showed, uh, I don't know whoever the 1948 iron fist was supposed to be, whether that was supposed to be Orson Randall or who that was supposed to be in the costume, jumping around and kicking ass. I thought that was great. Um, I really honestly, and I'll, without, I'll not do the spoiler part of it right now, but the last five or ten minutes of episode 13 showed me more promise for what season two could be than I, I was probably more excited about what season two could be than I was for any single thing that happened in season one. Yeah. Yeah. Rhiannon, thinking about these last, you know, seven episodes, what sticks out to you? What did you really like? What didn't you like? You know, what, what, what stuff have we not gotten into yet on the podcast that you want to talk about on, on Iron Fist? Well, I I like held my breath going into these last episodes because this is where the past few seasons of these Netflix shows it's just been weak. You know, either like Jessica Jones, it felt like you were getting the same episode over and over and it just wasn't going anywhere for a few episodes in in that middle stretch. Um Luke Cage brought in a whole other villain and then, you know, like bullets that could penetrate him and I just didn't love the end of Luke Cage. I, I you know, like I felt that Claire went off and all that. So anyways, like I, I I set my expectations really low for the back half of Iron Fist. I felt that they did a really good job of making of bringing in another bringing in more conflict but not making it too complicated it wasn't going from the punisher to hand zombie hand ninjas it was going from corporate conflict to the woke hand um that my friends and i have been calling it like i, I don't know the woke hand twist didn't upset me as much, uh, you know, some people didn't enjoy the, that twist, but I felt that there were enough twists to keep me interested, but it didn't like jump off the rails and go in some other direction 
and it didn't like sit and dwell in one place too long. So I was really pleased with the second half of it and just enjoyed most of it. I didn't have as much disappointment. I, I, I don't have as much emotional attachment to anything in the comics. And I knew if we got a dragon, it was going to be, I was excited just to even get the red lights for the dragon <laughs> because I, I didn't even expect them to go that far. Because everything about the show from day one, they were saying, you know, it's going to be grounded. It's going to be grounded. Um, so a lot of that stuff didn't bother me as much. I, as far as the 1948 Iron Fist, the behind the scenes photo, I geeked out more at that than the actual footage. Like it never dawned on me that that was us seeing the costume. Um, but I think we ran a picture. The, from behind mm-hmm. the scenes where they had like the crew there and the guy there in his costume. And that was pretty cool. So uh, overall impression of the second half is I really liked it. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Davos and bringing him in. I thought that was, it was good. Uh, it kind of hurt the show in as much as I liked Davos as a character much more than I liked Danny Rand. But um, yep. generally, I mean, we kind of knew the steel serpent was going to come. Uh, into the picture and I just feel like they did it well I liked the actor and I'm really excited about seeing him you know from here on out yeah I thought he was I thought he was awesome he was the best part of the second half um, obviously they're making like some little changes there to him but he's keeping I think the heart of the character right he's he believed he he should have been the Iron Fist his dad trains them to be the Iron Fist he thinks it's his birthright um, and it's you know legitimate to think that he'd come after Danny and be pissed and want to want to take him back to do his job. And then I love, um, I love the ending. The ending is, and some people, and rightfully so, are a little bit like, wait a minute, how did Joy go from you know, just completely flip a switch there at the end? But seeing Joy with Davos and having Gal in the background there, you can sort of imagine now the next time you see Davos. Maybe he's wearing a little purple mask and got a serpent tattooed on his chest. You know, maybe, maybe that's coming up down the road in, in um, season two. And that would be very true to the Marvel premiere Iron Fist, right? Like way back in the day, to Roy Thomas. Yeah, it, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, like the motivation of Davos. I wrote in one of my reviews that it's really easy for us to understand why Davos feels like he's been wronged because as soon as he shows up on the screen, the viewer is going, Hey, wait a minute. Why isn't he the iron fist? And so when he says, <laughs> why am I not the iron fist? Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah, exactly. How that other bozo to get it from you. You know, like we agree with Davos. So I, I, I mean, I really enjoyed the character. I, it, I guess one of the, one of the weirdest parts about the last couple episodes though, was like, how easily Danny whooped Davos, right? right? But then he's on a rooftop fighting Harold and he can't take Harold. And at one point, literally, like he kicks Harold or something and then runs away whimpering. <laughs> it was so, I was so confused by what was happening. Yeah, well, that fight had to drag on a little bit so that you could get the dragon eyes. <laughs> yeah, so we could, <laughs> so we could end up there. Like, it's okay. It's, it's fine, Ward, that you murdered your father who you've been hiding for 10 years. Nobody cares. No, no actions will come to you 
a heroin addict who just murdered his own father. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that part. <laughs> I was just so happy for Ward. I, I don't know why. By the end, I was a big Ward fan. Like, he was one of my favorite characters. I just, I don't have any good reason to like him, except for, um, I don't know. He was, let me put it this way. He is the only person with any common sense on that show. You know, like, True. when Danny walks up to Harold, he's like, oh, Harold, you're the daddy I never had. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then Joy's like, oh, daddy, I'm so glad we have you back. And then Ward walks in and goes, guys, this man's a freaking lunatic. How is that not, like blatantly obvious to both of you and just he was the only person with any sense in that room like he's the only person that didn't fall for harold's crap and i thought that was you know worthy of praise that he was the only one that you know kind of saw through all that stuff so we're definitely growing me i definitely like did not like the character did not like the actor did not like anything about ward in the first few episodes and by the end i was like oh i'm so glad he survived <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to see what they do with him now. Like, well, I don't know what where he goes. I mean, but I don't know. Se- the the uh, the second season has some serious promise now. I mean, maybe it's going to be one of those ones where they'll have a little more time, right? This this. I mean, I know they took forever to do it, but it also seemed like at the end it got rushed really badly to fit in a in before they got too far i mean what are you gonna do have five seasons of daredevil before you finally put iron fist out and right so maybe they'll maybe they'll take their time and and get some some actual good stories put together that really really shine for season two well and with harold you said where does he go Uh, they really had to to me like change hogarth a lot because jessica jones had so radically revised that character and so I could see some of the role that Hogarth plays in the comics being turned into Ward's stuff, you know, where he's a little bit more Danny's like right hand man. He depends on him because mm-hmm. I loved Hogarth in this, but I don't feel like it was the same Hogarth that I have read in the comic book. So, yeah, it's a good point. I expected far more Hogarth than we got. I was really shocked that she just made a couple cameos, really. It's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. Like, do we love Hogarth and Claire and um, Madame Gao because we don't see them for that long? Or, you know, are they just so good that they're holding them back? You know, like, which, which of these is the case? Because it feels like all the best characters are the ones that we see the least. Is this like Boba Fett? This is the Boba Fett symptom here, their syndrome here? Possibly. We got a lot of Claire. I mean, we got Claire going on the plane to China for no real reason. Yeah. Was this, for you guys, was this, like, at some, at any point during this, were you like, this is not the Claire that I enjoyed in the other series? Like, there were a couple times late, I was like, okay, this, I'm not, even Rosario Dawson, the writing is so bad that even Rosario Dawson can't make this character exciting. <laughs> like, there were a couple things going on where I was like, man, I don't know about Claire right now. It It was rough. I enjoyed her so much in all the other series, but oof, was, this was tough. No, you see, I had that feeling during Luke Cage. Yeah. When she turned into, like, investigative scientist Claire, <laughs> going yep. and figuring out the shells, and uh, that, to me, was just, like, off the rails. Who the f*** 
is this oh sorry is <laughs> <laughs> this character what are I, I i felt that claire the writing in luke cage with claire in that last third was ridiculous this i felt it was more character progression to get her to wherever she needs to be for the defenders and I mean, it was just her coming into more of being a fighter. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, I don't. I mean, her going to China was a little bit you, ridiculous, but you um insulting the writing on Iron and um, Luke Cage is just going to get Chio more upset with Charles. You know that, right? <laughs> Come at me, Chio! Come at me! <laughs> I actually um I agree that I think Luke Cage Claire is the worst. Part of it is every time she gets all like weak in the knees about Luke. It just drives me crazy. Like I just the Luke Claire relationship. I don't. I don't get. I feel like it's forced. I just. I don't. I don't like it at all. So <laughs> that's got to go. That that's got to be over with. But the best Claire moment for me is at the very end of the season, where Danny and Colleen are all like cuddly in the dojo, and she just looks at him as like. You both have major psychological problems, yeah. and you need to go see a counselor because this relationship is a hot mess of psychological dysfunction. And I was like, "Thank God, someone, you know, like that moment of honesty was so refreshing." And then they hop, and they hop on a plane to Kunlun there together because they never listen to anyone; they just run headlong into everything. Right. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Claire's this in the MCU to speak what all of the audience is thinking. Right. She could be the Rick Jones of the MCU, right? Of the net of the Netflix corner. So maybe here... that's what that guy's gonna write. Maybe he's gonna do a Rick Jones TV show. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> My favorite Rick Jones story. Have you ever read the Jessica Jones Rick Jones story? Yes. That is my favorite Rick Jones story in all of comics. He's like... Crack well, addict hobo Rick Jones. Yep, yep. <laughs> it was perfect for Jessica Jones. Rhiannon, I'm sorry if we've <laughs> lost you here momentarily. It's been a deep cut. I have no idea who Rick Jones is. Oh my goodness. He, he was like the Hulk's best friend, and then he helped Captain America, and then he got magic bracelets that let him switch bodies with Captain Marvel into the negative zone. And then he disappeared for 20 years, and Bendis made him a crack addict that had no grip on reality in Jessica Jones. Huh. So. He's yeah. overwhelmed by all of his time around the superheroes. Yeah. So she's having, like, as a detective, she's trying to figure out, like, what if it's real and what if it's just as, like, drug-fueled paranoia, and it's really kind of interesting. Um, let me ask you real quick about um, they made the decision to make Colleen Wing part of the hand. Did you like that twist? It's definitely not. I don't think it's comic. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember that as a comic storyline. Did you enjoy that? Do you think it was a bad idea, a good idea? What did you guys feel about that kind of decision in the middle of the show? I, I, felt for stu- uh, not, I felt so stupid for not seeing it coming. I mean, they throw this whole band of people that wear the red and black and they're all into martial arts and they're sort of 
I mean, I guess they were up against Gao, so they seemed like they were good guys and all that. I I thought it was a nice twist. I thought it tied in nicely. As I understand in the comic books, I mean, I know the hand from Daredevil. They don't go much further than that, do they? Is there more hand lore than what was in Daredevil? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I'm trying to look. I'm on my phone trying to do both these things at one time. I'm fairly certain at one point Colleen Wing was a part of something like the nail, which was like an offshoot of the hand. Okay. Uh, oh. But so, and so the, the hand, Charles just published his piece today, which is fascinating. Um, and Charles and I have kind of talked a lot behind the scenes about all this hand mythology and how crazy they can get with it. But like basically the hand had these factions in the comics as well. And there's like, maybe five different um, factions with Daimos all over the place. There's like an African faction, um, a South American one, like the traditional, what you think, like the hand ninjas, those guys, there were, they were splintered all over the, all over the place, all fancy crazy. So, I mean, it's, it's actually been really interesting to see how much they're doing with that. Like I would have never thought based on what we'd seen so far that, they were going to go anywhere past like um just the you know the nobu faction of the of the hand and i guess it wasn't really clear to me that until iron fist that nobu and gal were totally on different sides of this thing i didn't i guess i didn't know that i hadn't had a chance to read charles's article yet oh it's sweet you should read it he put i will a ton of work into that yeah i will yeah he had me look it over today as well and I, i thought it was really good yeah, I, my concern, my only thought with Colleen was um, I found Bakudo to be very transparent as a bad guy. Like, they did not write him as, like, a charismatic leader that I really believed in for any period of time. Like, as soon as they showed up on that, like, you know, as soon as they showed up at Hand University, it really stunk <laughs> as something weird. And so... The idea that Colleen has been like hanging around this for years and has been sending like innocent children to the school and it's not until he has her like captured and is about to blood every you know drip every bit of blood out of her body that she starts to go like oh wow this guy could be bad. To me it just like killed her credibility as a character you know like this is a really really naive stupid person. And I hated that because yeah. I really liked her character up until that point. But then once, you know, once we had that, it's like, you know, this bozo deserves Danny Rand because they're both the most naive <laughs> people on the planet, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that that was that was a strange twist. That whole, you said the hand, hand university right there, right? Hanging out and right in the middle of New York City. It's this nice little cult compound it was that was bizarre and having her up like a willing participant and it does seem seem pretty intense but well and i belabored this in my review but there's so many plot hole things that didn't make sense like yeah where is it is this thing just like in central park does no one know it's there how do they keep the kids inside and then (laughs) davos is able to like track them to the facility and he's able to get himself into the facility. 
but then they have to get special help to get out. Like, why didn't Davos just leave by whatever door he came in in the first place? And then, like, there was this sense that, like, once they were past the gate, they were safe. And I'm like, well, well why? <laughs> no why would they chase you? You know, like, we had a scene in Daredevil where the hand were, like, running on rooftops, like, trying to kill Stick. But this hand, as soon as you leave their front door, they're like, ah, oh, shucks, they got away. You know, like, <laughs> oh, and then the, this, is, this is really pedantic. But there are a lot of, like, properly lit exit signs in the guest house where they're holding Gao. And I just had this image of the fire marshal showing up for the hand. You know, and they're like, yes, sir, we want to be totally compliant with the law. We're killing people in the basement and draining their blood to resurrect our zombies. But yes, we'll make sure that every exit is properly identified. Like, it was just something about that that drove me crazy. So. But I mean, you joke about that. But like, I mean, they're on the surface. It is like a school of some sort. So. Yeah. That is a nice, like, contrast where, like, they do have a face. There is a face of this establishment that is legit and has fire exits and has children that are there, or, you know, young adults that are there feeling like they're a part of really good, really wholesome cause. So there is a little bit of dichotomy there, like, with the exit, you know, I mean, as far as going out the doors and the location and all that, like, they could have been in Jersey. Maybe the hand is here. <laughs> it does seem like Jersey would be the kind of place the hand might hang out, so. It does. I mean, uh, the, the, the hand compound looked a whole lot like Sandy Hook in New Jersey, which is just <laughs> a 45-minute ferry ride from mm. Manhattan, so. Yeah. I'm just saying, God help the fire marshal. Who's like, listen, you're going to have to do this, this, and that, whack, you know, and he's gone. I just. Yeah. Oh. Um, so let's just ask one more question looking ahead. Um, how do you feel like this show sets up Defenders? Does this make you nervous for Defenders? Or do you think that they're going to survive this okay? Like, how does the show set, set up the future of the, MC, uh, the Netflix MCU for you? I'm really excited that they've made the hand more complex, that they brought more things into the hand. Um, I think that gives us a lot of options going into the Defenders. I think if they bring up, you know, Sigourney Weaver's character as being some huge hand leader, um, Will be will be sort of adjusted. I don't know. I feel like a lot of the stuff in Iron Fist sort of normalized some stuff that just felt freaky in Daredevil season two. They've explained a little bit about the resurrections, about you know people coming back from the dead. Now we know that that's just a thing that the Hand can do. We know how to kill the people definitively. We we have a lot more information about that aspect of it so when Electra comes back it's not going to be like whoa holy crap you know they can raise other people from the dead well no it's sort of normalized a lot of that and um, I mean I'm feeling good about it I'm more I'm more nervous about the fact that um, Marco Ramirez is doing the Defenders who did Daredevil season 2 than I am like what this does leading into it. I think Finn will be fine. 
I, I think Finn was who he is. I mean, I think I think Iron Fist is a little bit of a cheesy character, and he's going to bring that cheese in with the rest of the defenders who take themselves far too seriously. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly excited for to see. I mean, I'd really like to know when I'm going to see defenders, but um, I Dude, feel like <laughs> I can't believe you brought that up before I did. <laughs> I'm sorry. No. Um, no. I, it's I feel more like... her self con- self control <laughs> suddenly existing. That's all. That <laughs> yeah. I guess I if to be fair to Iron Fist, I think that they did probably hijack some of it um, to put some things into place for Defenders, given that it's real close proximity to to the show. Right, like people are going to be watching this. Um, right up until Defenders comes out, people are not everybody's like us and already made sure they made their way through it. So I feel like some of some of that got sacrificed to get some of those things in, like Rhiannon just said about like the with the making the norm the resurrection and and I think probably even some of this stuff with the hand is going to come into play. Was it was it Pakudo who talked about um, the over the the even bigger boss, which I in my head might might have been Sigourney Weaver. I wasn't really sure. Um, but yeah, I think I think some of that's there. I guess it'll be interesting to see though. They the shows have been so like then obviously that was intentional, like just been so different. Like each one had such a very different feel to it. And now you're talking about throwing all these people in together. I'm I think the the dynamic's gonna be pretty cool. Um I guess I, I'm most interested to see how they how they interact in like the personal day-to-day life right like not not when matt's running around in his daredevil outfit but like are they gonna go the bendis route and have luke and jessica be like matt murdoch's bodyguards to you know explain explain away what they're doing around them all the time i'm i'm curious for little little things like that but i think it's i mean the the shortness of it kind of actually the eight episodes instead of the 13 actually makes me happy. Um, I think you said something about that today in, in the group chat about why does everything have to be bigger? Why can't people just appreciate the, the short night, the nice short story. Right. So yeah, I think uh, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I know that much. Yeah. I was talking about that in reference to uh, Legion just ended. I haven't seen the eighth episode yet, but they did eight episodes. Because the creator said, hey, there was just kind of an eight-episode arc that I wanted to do. And I'm like, yes, just do what you want to do and be done with it, you know? Like, whenever it feels like a show is filling out its episode order, it just is not good. And so... Mm -hmm. uh, I agree with you guys, too, on the normalization. I thought it was really interesting when Daredevil Season 2 came out. I read a lot of reviews, even some on our site, I forget who wrote them, where it was like, you know, this resurrection thing isn't explained enough, like, we know that there's the kids, and then they're draining their blood, and then there's that coffin, a resurrection, but, like, they haven't really explained how this works, and we need to know how this works. And then already by Iron Fist, just by merely repeating it, it makes more sense. People are like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, they're going to drain Colleen's blood to put it through that thing so that they could resurrect people. It's not been explained anymore. You just keep saying it and people like just accept that as right. the mechanics. So, Is it um, weird though that we're talking about like, 
in the same series where we're talking about how we had to have it grounded and not have a dragon that we're talking about resurrecting people repeatedly. Yeah. But they did have a dragon. I mean, <laughs> at least they didn't completely change the mythology. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking back to like a year ago. We didn't know if we would even see the tattoo. We, there were times where we doubted if the fist would even glow. Yeah. They, they, you know, they did Only give until us. until the fist got tired. Some... <laughs> He's learning his chi, Jeremiah. He's <laughs> learning his chi. I know. Um, and I did, I mean, just because I, I did this past week, talk to Tamara Becker Wilkerson, who's one of the uh, the supervising producer on Iron Fist. And I tried to get her to tell me, like, what they had to set up for the Defenders. And she mm-hmm. wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> she said they definitely had stuff they had to set up for it, yeah. of course. But she wouldn't tell me what it was. I was really fearful that they were going to, like, kind of, like, either spiritualize or psychologicize. I don't know what the word is there. But make more, like, psychological the dragon. Like, he went into this cave and, like... It would almost be like an Empire Strikes Back thing where yep. like he had to face his own fears. And I feel like they started to get there close when Meacham, when they did the like Harold Meacham is the dragon thing near the end. But, um, so yeah, I, I was afraid that's what they were going to do. So seeing the eyes move was, was good, I guess. So I should be thankful. Yeah, I liked the little dragon references dropped in throughout. And I mean, like Tamara told me, she was like, we threw in the dragon as much as we could, but Netflix flat out did not want to go to the dragon. They didn't want it to go there. Um, so I loved his little part where he threw in, like, is it scarier than a dragon in a cave? Yeah. <laughs> no. um, I, I just thought that really hammered in that he actually went in a cave and there was a dragon. Yeah. And I want to see it, but we got the eyeballs. We do. They were very fierce eyeballs. I just have to. I just have to offset all of your hate, Caleb, because <laughs> yeah, those I, eyeballs would keep a plane away from any building. I'm. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> I kind of put this in some of my reviews. Like I'm a bit odd when I review this stuff because I'll pick it apart for a half hour, and then you're like, "What'd you think?" And I'm like. I don't know, seven out of ten. You know, like <laughs> I'll pick at something, but I still enjoyed it. It's just so much easier and more interesting to me to talk about the flaws than like, oh, like I, I don't even know how to describe the more positive aspects. You know, so uh, I went into your reviews later and added a bunch of positive. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> no, but I wanted to. <laughs> I think, I think what the and this happens a lot. Um, to me, I don't think that I review the show for what the show is. I review the show for what my idea of what the show should have been. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And that's not, that's not fair, right? Like I, I think if I'm more just realistic about what the show actually was, I probably enjoy it. I did enjoy it a lot and I probably would enjoy it more if I weren't sitting there going, well, what about this? And what about this? And I think that's where like, I very much going into Iron Fist went in and, and I've been open about this anytime I've been talking about what I think about it. I went into it deciding I was going to love it no matter what it was. And so that's why I can look past so much of the cheese and the plot holes and the walls that keep the hand from leaving their compound. Like, 
I want to like it. So I will. There you go. I can't get that with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know. I'm trying. That's okay. Yeah, well, actually, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. comes back next week, so... That will... Oh, thank God, I've been missing it. <laughs> so, we'll use that as a segue. I wanted to do a quick little segment that's like three questions with Jeremiah, since she's usually not on here. Uh, pick your brain on a couple of things um, that we talk about on the show that we don't get to talk about with you, so... Uh, we'll do them relatively quickly. Uh, the first question: Do you hate Agents of Shield or do you loathe Agents of Shield? <laughs> uh, wow. I don't. I. I think it's it's a it started as a hate that's progressed towards a loathing. Like I just I couldn't do it. I started out okay this year with with Ghost Rider. Um, I thought that was that worked out okay. It was actually the best that show had been for me for a while. Um, and then the LMD thing just that was just brutal. I just quit. Um, I have <laughs> haven't caught back up yet. And I still, I mean, I know from um, from being in chat about about what's coming up here. And my God, they brought Ward back. I couldn't even imagine why. Like I was done with him after season two there's so it's just there seems to be so many other things that i thought that show would do and now it's just oh it's not even on my list like i i jokingly said like oh my gosh spring breaks here i'll be able to catch up on agents of shield um haven't even haven't even turned it on haven't even tried to get through the dvr yeah i have it's not even on my radar anymore i think you could pick back up when it comes back and it wouldn't matter there was a bunch of robots <laughs> they turned it evil you know, I now they're s- in an alternate universe. You can jump right yeah. in. That's I'm telling everybody. I'm like, just jump right in right now. It won't matter. Yeah, because even the characters don't know the rules of the universe they're in at this point. So it doesn't matter if you do or not. Yeah, I will say that last episode that aired a, a month ago was probably the best episode of the show I think I've ever seen. It was probably the best directed, best acted. So if you're gonna pick up anything, that last one was was decent start there all right question two um you probably know more about nova and care more about nova than most anybody else certainly you know more than rhiannon or i um there's been a lot of rumors about nova just give us the quick rundown how do you think nova should come into the mcu or how would you bring him in if you had your option um i actually think what's going to happen here in infinity war and whatever the next film is let's you know let's just call it avengers 4 although i just keep thinking contest of champions would be the coolest thing um obviously thanos is gonna pay a visit to xandar right like they've got something fairly important to him um and my nova um richard Ryder, is basically born out of the destruction of xandar so you've already got roman day in the movies I, there are so many Nova Corpsmen and Centurions that you could have picked. Like when James Gunn decided he was putting John C. Riley in there, he gave him that name of Roman Day, who was like linked directly to how Richard Ryder became Nova. You could have called that guy anybody, right? Like you didn't need to name him Roman Day. So I, I guess I think it's nicely set up that you could follow something closely related to the comics where. Um, Xandar is destroyed by Thanos as he comes for the stone. Maybe Roman Day escapes um, with 
I don't know, maybe by now the Nova core have found a way to, to utilize that stone to get some power. Obviously they don't, not going to have like the world mind powering their helmets. That That's not a thing, but, um, maybe he can get to earth and bump into, you know, hopefully for me, a uh, a young Richard Ryder, but I can understand that they've got a whole younger group of people who watch the Spider-Man cartoons who are way more in tune with Sam Alexander. Um, but I think, I think that that's there and it's open and it's like one of their huge cosmic characters that you have to, I don't care at this point, if it is Ryder Alexander, you have, you almost have to have a Nova brought into this mix here eventually. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Thank you. That is more than our listeners has gotten before. Like we did a a, a podcast on what should be in phase four and we said, well, Nova should be, but Adam knows Nova a little bit, but that was, uh, that was pretty good. Um, last question, pretty easy one of all the things left coming out this year, guardians of the galaxy volume two, uh, Spider-Man homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, the inhuman show, uh, defenders, punisher, um, possibly runaways. What's, what's the one property that's coming out this year that you're most excited about? Well, if you, if I had had to answer this without seeing some of the things that we've seen recently, I would have said punisher. Um, but this, I'm telling you right now, whatever is going on with Thor Ragnarok, it's just got me so pumped. Like the, it looks, those, those pictures from whether were they in entertainment, um, weekly, those pictures, all the, the crazy bright colors. And I have no idea what is going on with this movie, but it looks so fantastic. And it looks so much more like what I think a Thor comic book look like and what a Thor movie should be like Thor Thor and the best Thor comic books is like this crazy wild fantasy, right? Like journey into mystery, all those associated titles. Like that's, that looks like what's going on in Ragnarok. And then like the little bit of planet Hulk stuff they're doing, I think is just going to be fantastic. I love the kind of fish out of water for Thor. And I love that, they're going to make it just so out there because it, it couldn't be any to me. You, you can hardly get any worse than the dark world. And in, in, as far as an MCU film. So I'm told like for years and years and years, when I coached high school baseball, I would tell my kids, if what you're doing isn't working, you need to do something different. And that's like, that's exactly what they did here with Thor. They did something very, very different. Cool. Yeah. I can see that too. Uh, my feeling on that movie is it's either going to be a huge success or a huge failure. Like I don't want it to be, but it's just, they're taking so many risks. Uh, I think it's a really high risk, high reward thing that they have going yeah, on there. So it's definitely, I mean, I, you, you couldn't, you, you would have definitely gone wrong doing more of the same. I think like, yeah, obviously the Thor Loki dynamic is cool and nobody really gets tired of that, but man, it was, it was not good. And I think I'm hoping, and, and I think Doug and I talked about this kind of at length at one point, like Marvel's been really good at grabbing up <clears throat> young actors and actresses right before they really hit it big. And for them to put Tessa Thompson in this and in Castro as Valkyrie. And I think, you know, she's, she's just now coming into her own and more and more people are going to get to know her and see how talented she is, but she, cause she's fantastic. And like you could tell Thor stories till the end of time with Chris Hemsworth because Thor can live to be 5,000 years old. So you can go as they age. But if you want to like 
tell some fresh new stories and bring Valkyrie in to tell some of the cool Thor, Thor stories and add in some of the other cool villains that they could use. I think that they've set themselves up really well, and I'm excited. We've, I mean, we've barely seen anything out of her. I can't wait to yeah. see what what she is and whatever this first trailer drops. I'm telling you, it's going to just blow people's minds. Like, I think they're going to go out of their way to make people see like this is a totally different Thor movie. They're going to make it really nuts. Yeah. And if Tessa Thompson is saving us from Jane Foster slash Natalie Portman Thor, <laughs> yes. then we should all be very, very thankful. I mean, I love Tessa Thompson anyways, but, you know, she'll forever be on my Christmas card list for that. Oh, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> um, we're going to do real quick uh, our mailbag. Not nearly as much stuff this week. Uh, love Waffle left some comments for us. Was just saying that um, Chio Coker, who did Luke Cage, has shown some interest in doing a Heroes for Hire season. And so he was just saying, don't give us Iron Fist season two. Give us that Heroes for Hire show. Uh, I kind of I see that. Um, I do want to see a Kunlun heavy contest of champions kind of show out of Iron Fist. So I don't, I might want more of a season two, but Heroes for Hire would be great too. So that might be a way for them to fix it. Uh, then we got some comments from a guy named Alvin, just helping us pronounce Joe Casada. So we had a lot of trouble with that last week. Uh, he was suggesting that our lack of knowledge in Spanish was, was hurting us. So very possible Joe Casada. M- m- many apologies. We know that you listen to the show and are heartbroken that I can't pronounce so, the last name. So is he saying that we pronounce it Casada? That's what he's saying. He's okay, like, I mean, because I heard Joe pronouncing it on a podcast. What'd he say? And I heard Quesada, like a KW. Oh. All right, I but change everything I just said, Alvin. I could be, I could be just remembering. <laughs> I mean, it could be that because it, it was a Kevin Smith podcast with Joe Quesada, oh. and it could have been Kevin pronouncing his name, or maybe just I'm misremembering. But if the traditional Spanish pronunciation would be Quesada, uh, sure. But that doesn't necessarily I've been told mean many something. Many times my Spanish pronunciation sucks. Yes. It is interesting that sometimes people will be like, no, no, in the original language, this is how you pronounce it. And then people are like, I don't care about the original language. My grandpa always said it this way. So, you know, <laughs> like those things don't always line up. So, Alvin, you might be right. Thank you for commenting. But uh, Rhiannon thinks you're wrong. So you can tweet her at, at Shada Patron. Yeah. Um, Take it up. Take it up with her. <laughs> All the hate mail, Shada Patron. <laughs> Uh, also, our buddy on Twitter, Jack Hammer, apparently tried to send in some comments and got rejected by the uh, digital comment bouncer on the website. So, sorry, Jack. I don't know what happened there, man. But thanks for interacting with the show. Denied. Yeah, sorry. just denied. So, all right. Uh, I think that about does it for now. This has been a long episode anyway. But, Jeremiah, thanks for coming on your week off, man. It was so good to uh, have you on here. and we'll. Let's we'll talk again sometime soon. Yeah, I loved it. I was, I always, something I always want to do, but it doesn't work normally because I got to be up so early in the morning. So I was happy to get on here and talk with you guys. Thank you. You know so much more than all of us. I mean, that's not or at true. least so much more than me. <laughs> all this old comic book knowledge. It's great. You definitely well, do have the. Being old. <laughs> you... Shut up. We've been through this. You definitely have the cosmic side much better than I know I do or, or, or like 
every once in a while a topic will come up like, hey, let's talk about Pip the Troll. And I share the like three <laughs> things that I know, and Adam says a thing or two, and Rhiannon is like, "Don't do that to me, guys." <laughs> you know. I just can't wait to find out that 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 we finally when we finally get um, confirmation of Dinklage in that role. Yeah, yeah. As much as Doug and Charles want it to be the king of the dwarves, so we can watch him craft some jewelry out of fine uru, I just really don't feel like that works for me. I agree. I did have a crazy theory last week that uh, what if Sylvester Stallone is supposed to be Pip the Troll and Rosenbaum <laughs> is Adam Warlock? Like That would be great. <laughs> yeah, couldn't you see Stallone? We're talking about like Stallone with a stogie, like just like totally not caring about anything <laughs> else around him. Just hammered all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... All right, uh, that's it. Um, we had a good time talking, guys. Like I said, next week we'll talk about Spider-Man and Sony. Um, stay up to date with all your stuff on the MCU Exchange uh, website. We have all our reviews and features and news and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you have not read them, we have 13 reviews of every single episode of Iron Fist. So uh, you can see that there. Uh, Rhiannon had a great piece, as she mentioned, with one of the writers of Iron Fist. So go on over to the website and click, click, click. Uh, we love your support. Uh, with the show, you can like us um, via going to iTunes and subscribing to us and leave us a nice review. Give us four stars. That would be awesome. Um, you can also like our posts on Facebook, leave comments on the webpage, or even go to SoundCloud and give us some likes as well. Uh, I think that does it for now. Until next week, we'll see you guys later. Bye.